Good morning. Good morning. So we're going to do uh, something today that I hope, my intention is that it's intensely practical. That it's something that you can go out and use. Now what we're going to be working on is this uh, guarding your heart. Sam, how are we doing on the mic? Okay. So uh, we're going to start with a Bible verse that talks about guarding your heart. It's Proverbs 4, 23 to 27. And uh, I'll just read you the verse. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Watch the path, uh, let, let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Okay. Now, I think the first time I heard that verse was, I believe, in high school. My dad was a lay Baptist minister and would get to preach every once in a while. And I think that's the first time I heard it was from him. And I remember thinking, great. How do you do that? That's something that happens to me a lot when I hear a scripture or I read it. I always try to figure out what I can do to actually practice that, and a lot of times I, it's hard. So um, what I want to do here is to break this, verse, break this scripture down a little bit of verse by verse and, and uh, uh, translate it into something that I understand, something that I can actually do something with. So uh, take the first verse. Heart, what does it mean, heart? Heart means the, the, your, your feelings your will it's the center or the source of you and then what does watching mean that's actually what we're going to be working on today is what it means to watch your heart um, if you pay attention to the state of your heart second verse you're going to find bad stuff it says you know put away a deceitful mouth that means what you're going to discover if you actually watch is, watch is that you've got a deceitful mouth notice it doesn't condemn you for having it it just says you're supposed to Establish it and work on it. Figure it out and work on it. Um, so there's no condemnation in finding out that you're not perfect. All right. Next verse. See what is right in front of you. And that's a lot harder to do than we think. Um, and then the, the last two verses, the command here is to use what you gain from watching your heart to guide your decisions. It's what you use to figure out what to do next. Okay, so what it takes to guard your heart is a lot of thinking, hard thinking. And uh, when I looked in preparing for the sermon at the words that normally get translated uh, as thinking, what I discovered is that they were pretty richer, I mean they were much richer than just what we normally consider to be thinking. So uh, some of the words, uh, when you take a look at the Greek, are uh, to reckon thoroughly, to deliberate, to consider, to muse, to reason. And then also in the Greek, it talks about actually having a conversation with yourself. Uh, it talks about discussion, consideration, debate, disputing, uh, doubting, and imagining. Those are all words that get translated into thinking. And uh, what that distills down to, for me, is what we're commanded to do in this version is, is, is to, to have a conversation with ourself about ourself. 
And that's the kind of thing that we do when we guard our heart, is we have a conversation with ourself about ourself. So what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna have a conversation, you're gonna have a conversation with yourself about yourself. So um, we're gonna do that now. So we're gonna first of all start to break down what a conversation is and what it takes to have a conversation. So let me ask you a question. How many people have to be in the room with you to have a conversation? One. Just you, right? Don't you talk to yourself all the time? I do. I mean, I try to minimize the number of times I'm talking to myself and I go, huh? But I talk to myself all the time. So let's take a look at this thing that's in your head that's talking all the time. We want to kind of understand the nature of it, the characteristics of it. So if any, does anybody here have any trouble identifying what I'm talking about? If you're a little confused, it's that voice in your head that's going, what's the point? Or I'm really, really glad when Peter is back. Or, 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 oh good, it's Subway. You know, whatever it is. It's that thing that constantly chatters in the back of your head. So let's take, let me ask you some questions about it. Uh, first of all, do you ever have to remember to turn it on? No. I mean, if you, like, got up one morning and you remembered to turn it on, it would already be on. Right? So it's automatic. It's a part of our physiology. It's like breathing. It's like your heartbeat. It's there all the time. The clinical definition of death is when it stops. Okay, so it's really embedded in us. All right, does it ever shut up? Mine doesn't. Okay, it talks all the time. I mean, there are times when I, when I actually talk back to it and say, will you shut up? But it never cooperates. Okay. Does it do more than talk? Mine does. Plays movies. I imagine whole scenes come out in my head without me driving at all. They just show up and they just show up and they just show up and it generates body sensations. Makes me feel hot and cold, makes me feel comfortable, makes me feel uncomfortable, makes me feel all kinds of different ways. So there's this background phenomenon that you and I don't really think about very much that is all the time talking to us, showing us pictures, and giving us feelings. In fact, um, well, no, let me just, I, I won't go there. We, let's give this thing a name. Let's call it the chatterbox. So you and I walk around with this chatterbox. All right, so what's it for? Well, what the chatterbox is for, it's a gift from God. The chatterbox is what enables us to learn and take things and, that are initially difficult and over time gain familiarity with them and make them easy. Probably one of the best examples of that that most people in here know because you drive a car is that when you first start learning to drive, it takes all of your attention, doesn't it? I know it did for me. I had to really pay attention to it. 
be very careful, you know, square my corners, don't forget the blinker, the instructor's going to, to uh, count points off, try to avoid that semi coming the other direction, don't drive into the ditch at night, I mean, it was this very consuming activity driving. But after, over time, after a while, it went further and further and further into the background, and now driving is easy, I don't have to think about it at all. My wife occasionally requests that I think about it a little more than I, than I do. But it's pretty much, and it is, I'm sure it is for you too, those of you who drive, it's an automatic activity. It doesn't require a lot of thinking, it doesn't require a lot of decision making. It's kind of get in the car, cruise around, go wherever you go on automatic. The driving is automatic. If you're going someplace familiar, the navigation is automatic. Yes? Okay. So, um, the chatterbox guides you through life without the requirement for thinking about anything that's familiar. So anything that's familiar, it puts into the background, makes it automatic. No effort, no discernment, no argument. So that's what it does. So. You and I, I assert, operate day in and day out as if the chatterbox is us. Um, I would say it would be inaccurate. I'll say this inaccurately and then I'll clean it up. We think the chatterbox is us. The accurate way to say it is when we don't think the chatterbox is us. Okay? So we operate moment by moment, day in and day out, the vast majority of time as a register for the chatterbox. The chatterbox operates us. Say that again, the chatterbox operates us. It thinks and we have the thoughts. It feels and we have the feelings. It imagines something and we see the pictures. It determines that something isn't important and we can't see what's right in front of us because it's doing its job. That's what it's for. So, we're gonna do a little exercise here together. And uh, we're gonna report on your chatterbox. So in a minute, what I'm gonna ask you to do is find somebody next to you and you are going to take the person next to you and you are gonna take a minute to report on what's the chatterbox is currently chattering about. And then the person that you paired up with will take a minute and they're going to report on what their chatterbox is chattering about. And I mean this in a very specific way. I'm doing this exercise on purpose to giving you uh, a real concrete experience of having stepped outside of your chatterbox and just observed it. And you can't report on your chatterbox uh, uh, unless you stay, take a step back and observe it. So that's what this exercise is for. And by the way, this is not a psychological assessment. This is not a, this is a real time, what is it chattering about right now? Okay, so I'll give you an example of what mine is chattering about right now is a number of different things. Uh, one thing, it wishes that I had lost weight before I got up here in front of all of you. Okay. It's wondering if I'm looking good, if I'm coming across clearly. Uh, I'm kind of checking out your faces and so far nobody looks like they've bitten into a lemon, but I keep on worrying about it in the background. So that's the kind of stuff that's going on with my chatterbox right now. So we're going to go ahead and do the little exercise, pair up, 
You'll have about a minute each. Go. All right. It's kind of fun, isn't it, when you catch the chatterbox out? By the way, just ask yourself the question, how often do you do that? I know that I, I have been practicing the discipline of observing my chatterbox for 30 years. And the percentage of time I actually step outside my chatterbox is still tiny. Most of the time, most of the day, I'm cruising on automatic. Stepping outside the chatterbox has real power. Um, so, uh, thank you for doing the exercise. So, um, what does your chatterbox talk to you about? I can tell you what mine talks to me about. It judges everything and everybody in my environment all the time. It judges, it assesses, it evaluates, it's concerned about position, it's concerned with how I look, it wants me to look good, or at least it wants me to look better than everybody else around me. It's very concerned as to whether or not I'm the smartest guy in the room or not. Uh, it's just judges and assesses and evaluates all the time. It never shuts up. Okay? So, um, it's busy telling me about what's real. It's busy telling me about what is important and what's not important. Automatically, without consideration, without thinking, without argument. Chatter, 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 chatter. Words, picture shows, body sensations. All the time. Judging. That judges me. I am its favorite subject. <laughs> judges you. It judges the world that I live in. Again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it's unmanaged, if it's undistinguished, if you and I are not actively engaged in observing that, then we are not guarding our heart. So, here's the problem with the chatterbox. It constantly mixes true and false judgments. In this spew that comes out of it, true, 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 false, false, true, false, true, false, 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 true, 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 false, 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 constantly. And unless we're on guard, we miss the fact that the judgments that are false feel just like the judgments that are true. Now, what does it judge truly? It judges truly things that are simple. I mean, my chatterbox reliably gets me to work in the morning without me having to pay any attention at all to that, get in my car, how I drive, where I have to turn. It occasionally yells at me when I miss the turn. But it's pretty reliable. However, there's a whole lot of things in my life that have to do with my heart and has to do with your heart that are not simple. They're complicated. They're complex. They are not predictable. But what does it do, my chatterbox? 
It lies to me when it turns things into uh, things that are complicated into something simple. I'm going to introduce a, a patented Dan Kruger technical term here. It thingifies. It turns this wonderful, amazing people that I interact with that have a whole universe in their head into things. It turns this amazing creation, this wonderful complex world we live in, into things. It thingifies. It simplifies things so much that they no longer, that my understanding, the caricature I have, for instance, of the people in my life, it, it, it simplifies them so much, what it tells me is no longer the truth. And that's the problem. That's the living with the liar that the sermon title comes from. I realized a long time ago that I live day in and day out with a liar. It lies to me all the time, and it's the most skillful of liars because it blends the truth with a lie so seamlessly that unless I'm really paying attention, I don't catch it. Okay, so um, some examples here. My wife was introduced a little while ago. My wife is this beautiful woman who is the most interesting person I know. And what I watched it turn her into yesterday was the thing that interrupted me while I was on a phone call to carry groceries. And I was pretty freaking annoyed at that thing. But in that moment, in that instant, it thingified my wife. It turns my sons. Now, it's kind of interesting. You overhear the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder. When my sons lived at home, it turned them into nitwits <laughs> who are going to pull some stunt any day now or any moment now that I would have to deal with. Now, now that they're both moved out and they're gone, they're much more interesting to me <laughs> because they're less familiar. What they're doing now is not known to me. It's not predictable. When, they, when I talk to them now, there's the possibility for something new. So they're, you know, they're way better. Uh, by the way, I'm hoping that I'm less of a nitwit now that they're out on their own too. But, you know, it, it turns the, it, the, I have this great group of people that I work with, and it turns them into cost centers. Turns it into people that I've got to come up with money to pay. Not this really terrific guys that are doing this insanely great software development. So it thingifies. Now let me ask you a question. Who do you think it thingifies the most? I'll give you a hint. It's the person dead on. It's the person in your chair. It turns you into this set of notions. Hi, my name's Dan. I am like this. Hi, my name's Peter. This guy says Peter, and Peter is like this. And you know, and you know what people are like. You know what Bill is like. You know what Bob is like. You know what George is like. That's just the way they are. In fact, we like it when they're really predictable. And so you and I can have a real honest to God, living, breathing human being in front of us, and what we see is a thing. Interesting, huh? Okay. So, 
The other thing, by the way, that the thingifies is the world. The chatterbox, my chatterbox really, really, really wants for the world to be simple. It doesn't want me to have to expend much effort to understand it. So what my thing does is take this brain that God gave me and turn it off, and what it wants to do is offer shallow opinions about the way the world is that are all based on being able to predict it and control the world. So what I do, and what I hear people do time after time is say things uh, that uh, start with the way it is is, and then what comes after that is fill in your shallow understanding here. The thing, the chatterbox really does not like for us to think things through. It doesn't like for us to doubt. It doesn't like for us to challenge our preconceived notions. So it does two things. It turns people into things, and it turns the world into something that could be understood by an idiot. Both are lies. Okay, so here's the problem with familiarity. <coughs> According to the chatterbox, goodness is determined by familiarity. Truthfulness is determined by whether or not you're comfortable with it, whether or not you've encountered it before. So if it's new, it's suspicious. If it's not instantly understandable, it's probably wrong. See, here's the problem with that. What does that turn today into, if you and I are operating on automatic, if we're just being operated by the chatterbox, what does it want to turn today into? An instantly understandable variation of yesterday. See, I've been thinking about this for years. If I'm being operated by my chatterbox, then today is going to look about like yesterday, is going to look about like the day before that, is going to look about like the day before that, and tomorrow is going to look about like today, and the day after tomorrow is going to look about like tomorrow. My script is written. It doesn't want anything new. And this is kind of the hard part of the sermon for me, is kind of getting my mind around that. See, if nothing new is going to happen, what's the difference between that and being dead? You know, maybe walking around dead, talking dead, upright dead, but dead. In Macbeth, I'll read you this quote, this is one of my favorite quotes. Shakespeare got a real handle on this. Listen to this. This is a quote from Macbeth. From Macbeth. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. All of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. See, when Jesus talks to us about being dead, unless we're in him, I wonder sometimes if that is what he's talking about. Because he's not saying that we all fall over. But he does talk to us very clearly about unless we live in him, we're dead. 
And I wonder sometimes if this is the dead he's talking about. Okay. So, now, good part. Overriding the chatterbox. You can override your chatterbox. You do it all the time. I just, uh, I think that you and I as Christians don't do it enough. So, um, again, I believe that the chatterbox is a gift. It's something that God gave me so that I could get along in the world, so that I could learn things and I could move on, I could gain skill, I can gain capability. You know, those of you in here who've been parents, you know, when, what do you do with kids the first six months they're around? You carry them everywhere. You really, really hope that at some point they learn to walk so you can put them down. So this chatterbox is a gift. But here's the thing that I think that we don't get our mind around. If we don't challenge the chatterbox, it becomes our idol. I think, I want, I like, I don't like, I don't think, I know. I, 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 I. When we talk in practical terms about making ourselves God, being an idol, I would like for you to consider the possibility that what that actually breaks down to in day in and day out, moment by moment practice, is believing that the idol is telling you the truth and that the idol is you. That, the, excuse me, the chatterbox is you. Me, 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 me. So, um, one other thing. Um, fighting this chatterbox is a fight. It's a discipline. It's the discipline that the verse that we read from Proverbs invites us into, commands us into. And it's a day in and day out by moment, honest to goodness, no holds barred, knock down, drag down, fight. And uh, part of the invitation I have in the sermon is to get into the fight. See, one of the things that I think that it does to fool Christians is to have us to believe that if we're really like in the Christian groove, you know, like my Christian score today is, you know, 90% or above, is that we would have no conflict. I know that I was told many times growing up that the way you really know if somebody's like being an effective Christian or not is, is if they have peace. So God does, does give us peace. He gives us the peace that he loves us. He gives us the peace that we know where we're going. But he also gives us the fight. He asked us to take this on. To challenge our own nature. Our own fallen nature. To challenge the world that we live in and the evil in it. So, um, welcome to the fight. See, I assert that you can measure a Christian as much by the conflict they're in as the peace they have. See, I admire Christians who are deep into the battle with whatever it is. It can be their own demons. It can be their own circumstances. It can be that they're spending time and money trying to make a difference out in the world. It's that they can just wake up and be decent and not cranky all day. All of those different things. So, um, question for you. Is the chatterbox the only one lying to you? See, I don't think so. So I've been practicing this for about 30 years. 
And for about 15 of those years, the last 15 years, I've been a practicing Christian. And what I noticed after I became a practicing Christian, again, I was raised in a church, you know, did all that kind of stuff, but I did like a lot of young people do. I kind of moved away from the faith. I spent about 15 years looking at Christianity as, you know, pretty bad science fiction. But then came back to my faith and started really taking a look at this. And what I noticed immediately after I started practicing my faith again, that there was another voice from time to time that was not the automatic chatter because it was really distinctly different. It wasn't trying to constrain me. It was trying to destroy me. That what I realized very real is that there's occasionally this voice that's trying to do me in and it's not the chatter. It uses the chatterbox. It comes in undercover in the chatterbox. It shows up in the same stream of nonsense that the chatterbox is already uh, chattering about, but it's a voice that makes me want to kill myself. Makes me think that I'm not worthy of anything. Accuses me, attacks me, makes it clear to me that I am not worthy of God's love or your love. And it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes, but when it's there, it's awful. It's like hell, because it is hell. So, uh, living outside the chatterbox requires moment by moment, day by day, acts of courage. And uh, I can tell you, in the 15 years since I've been a practicing Christian, how I get that courage is that what's different, being a Christian, is that I'm no longer alone in fighting the fight. I have help. And very clearly for me, the difference in the first 15 years and the second 15 years of working on this is the help I have. And it comes in several different forms. Sometimes, in these really beautiful moments of bell-like clarity, it is that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. No kidding. Now, that doesn't happen very much. Wish it happened more. What more often happens is the voice that I hear that helps me is your voice. It's my brothers and sisters in the body talking to me, challenging me, taking care of me, loving me, holding me to account. The whole range of conversations you have with me is a different voice to listen to. Okay? So, um, sometimes, by the way, I get help dealing with the chatter in my head, especially when it's talking about me that I don't understand. So in the midst of the fight, in a way in which I cannot comprehend at all, there is the peace that passes all understanding. So, how do I, um, step outside my chatterbox? I surrender, I surrender my judgments. Give them up. And there's ways, very practical ways, actions that I can take, things that I can do to just render those judgments. First and foremost, I surrender those judgments 
when I pray. When I really pray, Chatterbox doesn't have anything to do with that. It actually doesn't like prayer, by the way. It'll be nattering there sometimes in the background saying, Are you really, is anybody really listening? Set it aside and pray. Surrender my judgments in prayer. I surrender my judgments in confession when I just tell the truth rather than do what the chatterbox says, which is shine it over, make it look good, hope nobody noticed that when I confess. I can't forgive inside the chatterbox. I have to surrender my judgment and forgive myself, forgive you. Can't do that on automatic. When I take on uncomfortable missions. One of the people, I met a guy in Houston years ago who I really admire, and I was telling this story in the last night. He reminds me of Mitt Romney in a way. He's like Mr. Clean. He and his wife, this couple and their kids that I met in Houston, made Ozzie and Harriet look like scumbags. I mean, they were just perfect, you know? I mean, it was, and it was always really dressed. I mean, his hair was parted. It used to be weird to me. It would be windy, and his hair wouldn't get... I mean, he was like the perfect guy, the picture book family. And he, in one of the most courageous things I've ever seen, when he was trying to figure out what ministry to support in the church, decided to do the ministry to street people because it was the most foreign and alien thing to him he could imagine. He'd never been around people like that. He certainly wasn't like that. It was not part of his experience. It was not part of his culture. But he took on that mission and went and dealt with street people because it was the biggest challenge to his faith he could come up with. That's really stepping outside the chatterbox. Okay? So, and then finally, um, I, or two, th two more things, I study, when I study the scriptures, I can't do that inside the chatterbox. Doing things like just reading the Bible, figuring out what it says, digging into it, doing things like preparing for the sermon, I can't do that on the in, in the chatterbox. Chatterbox doesn't help there. Because every time I dive, dive into the scriptures, it's a whole new ballgame. There's always things there that I didn't know were there before. And then finally, I surrender my judgments when I moment by moment wake myself up and make myself see what's right in front of me because in this verse in Proverbs, I was commanded to. When I make myself see what's right in front of me because God told me that's my job. Okay, so um, here I think is Jesus' invitation in all this. Um, live in me. Not in yourself, not in your chatterbox. Accept my grace. And in this context, what I mean specifically by accept my grace is let my judgment replace your judgments. Let my judgment replace the chatterbox. So now that conversation drives the chatterbox crazy. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Give up my judgments? Where's my predictability? Where's my control? Where's my ability to know what's coming next? And grace? You've got to be kidding. What's the catch? But we contain far more than the chatterbox. We can actually contain in us God's grace. So we're about to take communion. And I think about, think about communion. Think about the invitation that's in communion. 
Jesus is saying, take me into you. Take me into you. Surrender your judgments. Give them up. And I'll make you a promise. If you take me into you, or as you take me into you, I will take you into me. I created you. I made something beautiful. I made something wonderful. I made something joyous. I made something truthful. I made something powerful. Believe in me, uh, not in your chatterbox. I created something more than your chatterbox can ever imagine. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. As uh, Dan and I got together and had breakfast this week and talked about this, I said, I know what you're talking about. Uh, Jesus said, uh, if you um, lose your chatterbox, for my sake and the kingdom, you will find it. He said, lose your psyche, that's the Greek word, and I think it means chatterbox. Lose your life for my sake and the kingdom, and you will find it. And so we asked that question, how do we do it? And, and Dan told us, and, and, and this is, how we do it. On the night that the word of God, that's the voice of God, the judgment of God spoken into this dark world, on the night that the word of God was betrayed, delivered up, he, he took bread. Um, the night that he was delivered up by us, the beginning of the day that the entire world thingified him. Because what happened at the cross? We took the word of God and we nailed him down. We, we tried to thingify him. Hey, even now, as you come to this table, you are being tempted to thingify this. Isn't it amazing that for 2,000 years the church has fought wars, killed people over the definition of this table? Jesus didn't say, um, understand this uh, and all about me. Do this because I want you to understand all this. He said, do this in memory of me. And what's a me? A me is a person that we are not to thingify. So as you come to the table this morning, um, what I want you to do is surrender your chatterbox. That's what we always do. That's what we, I mean, Dan used new words for what we do every time we come to, to worship here, is that you come forward and you just surrender your chatterbox and you don't, you don't thingify this, but you surrender to this because a voice speaks into your chatterbox, speaks into your world, speaks into your judgments, and this is what the voice says. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after supper, the, the voice said, this, is, uh, this cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. It's grace. Do this in remembrance of me. And so um, we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, the dark cup's wine, uh, the white cup's juice, they're both the life of God, the judgment of God. We invite you to take that bread and jam it in your chatterbox, okay? You just stuff it down in your chatterbox. It interrupts your chatterbox. It's the judgment of God. Furious, 
relentless, unconditional grace. After you jam the body and blood of our Lord into your chatterbox, worship, worship him. Um, worship him for his mercy, for his judgment. And, and as you go back to your seats, there'll be two stations down here. Um, as you go back to your seats in either corner, there'll be members of our ministry team. Um, if you'd like them to pray with you, they'd love to, to, to pray with you. I mean, that's a, that's a way you interrupt the chatterbox and someone else to tell you, in the name of Jesus, you're forgiven. In the name of Jesus, God loves you. Um, but uh, now, let's, let's uh, come to the table, surrender our chatterbox to uh, God's voice. And he makes us new. He makes us new. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Let's be get ready to conclude here today. Um, I remember a time when I was really stuck in my own chatterbox. And as some of you know that I was single for a long time before I got married and had been through a number of just painful breakups. And the chatter in my head was something along the line of, I don't think I can do this anymore. My heart is just broken, it's flawed, there's something wrong with me, I just can't seem to make relationships work. And I was tired and worn out and just that feeling of something's broken. I'm just broken inside. And I was in a small group at the time, and there was a, a girl in the small group that um, one day I had a set of keys that had a keychain on it with a, a brass heart on it. And I dropped the keys, and it fell to the ground, and it broke in half. And I said to this girl in, the, in my group, I said, see, my heart is broken. And she turned to me, and she said, that's not a broken heart. That's an open heart. And in that moment, this incredible shift. And, you know, we need community. We need people in our lives where we can come and bring our chatterbox and speak it out. It's called confession. <laughs> and uh, speak out our chatterbox. And the Spirit of God in you can speak to the Spirit of God in my own heart that I need to hear in a way that can totally transform the way we think. So I'm going to close out with this verse. It's out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Some of you are very familiar with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, with this being your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your chatterbox, that by, te by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And instead of the chatterbox that is constantly judging with, with condemnation, it's the judgment of grace and, and the judgment of love that we have for ourselves and for one another.